0: but it's like the whole escrow thing was tough because you know and he sold part of the property to the city mm-hmm. for the library the little tokyo library and so um my husband and i went to italy and every every church we went into i was lighting a candle <laughs> and like about the third church <laughs> cause i was like asking for money and um he was um she was like, what are you doing? We're not Catholic, and I was like, but Viviana is Catholic, and, you know, we
1: need We just mojo. <laughs> we,
2: need, we need mojo here. Welcome to Enthusiastically Los Angeles, the podcast where your favorite amateur enthusiast talks to the dreamers, makers, movers, and shakers that have made this city, and especially it's downtown, among the best in the world. Oh, and who's your favorite amateur enthusiast? That would be me, Glenn Gritzner. On today's episode, we chat with Los Angeles Conservancy President and CEO, Linda Dishman, As perhaps the preeminent historic preservation advocate in Los Angeles, we'll hear how Linda got her start, how everything from riots to earthquakes helped shape her beginnings at the organization 27 years ago, and we'll go behind the scenes to learn how she faced down the mighty archdiocese and won. Oh, and we'll also hear why an organization like hers cares about a revolving sign outside a foot doctor's office. Stick around. Los Angeles has gone from a city that didn't think it had a history to one that proudly embraces it. And perhaps that's nowhere as obvious as downtown, where beautiful historic buildings are being revitalized and reused as everything from condos to theaters to creative office space. The change in that mindset over the last couple of decades is thanks in no small part to the work of one woman, Linda Dishman. I've known Linda for the better part of 15 years and actually play a small part in this story which you'll hear more about. But the idea to include her in this podcast actually came during my interview with downtown housing pioneer Tom Gilmore, and the minute he said her name, I knew I wanted to track her down. Luckily, I saw her at an event that very evening, and she readily and graciously agreed to be interviewed. One of the Conservancy's signature victories, which you'll hear a lot about here, was saving St. Viviana's Cathedral from demolition, taking on the mighty Archdiocese in the process. So what better place to interview her than inside that beautiful and historic piece of Los Angeles history? The folks who currently manage St. Bibbs were kind enough to set us up in the former sanctuary for a couple of hours, and we took a trip down memory lane. Okay, so we are sitting in the middle of St. Viviana's Cathedral, which we'll um, get back to, but it's a really cool setting to do this particular podcast, because I'm here with Linda Dishman, who's the Executive Director of the Los Angeles Conservancy. I don't even know if that's the right title. but
0: I'm now President and CEO, but pre- I answer <laughs> <Yeah>, pre- <so. laughs> to the, the, the top, The head person.
2: <laughs> um, and Linda and I have known each other a long time, but we're going to start at the beginning like I always do. So thanks for doing this, first of all, and thanks for coming to this place that maybe wouldn't be here if not for you. Um, but before we get to all that, where did the story of Linda Dishman begin?
0: I was born in a small town north of Sacramento called Marysville. Mary. How, Marysville. How
2: far north? That's like north it's of Sacramento. It's like an hour north. Oh, okay, it's okay. kind of
0: claimed to fame is that it was named after Mary Donner, uh,
2: the Donner Party. <laughs> like the <a> Donner Party? <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> well, we didn't stay long. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was basically raised in Sacramento. So.
2: Oh, okay. So you were born there and raised mostly in Sacramento, yeah. like through high school?
0: Yeah. I went off to college and then never really returned to Sacramento. Okay.
2: So, so, um, okay, so high school up in, uh, through Sacramento, mm-hmm. and then where'd you go to college?
0: Davis, so I didn't get far.
2: (laughs) You just went down that, what is that? I-80. Yeah, the 80, I was going to (laughs) say. But it was across the Yellow House, (laughs) in a different county. (laughs) That's very important. (laughs) Spread your wings. Um, And what did you major in?
0: I majored in history, and um, I loved history, and I had one of those families that... Drove around on Sunday afternoons in the gold gold country, and you know, but neither of my parents were from California, so this was all new history to them. So I loved history, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it by majoring in it. But um, Davis, for all of its um, veterinary and um, science um, accolades, and wine, and wine. wine, yeah, I did take that class. Um, has really good internship programs, and so I got an internship my junior year with the state office of historic preservation, and that's when I figured out, wow, you could have a career, actually working with historic buildings oh so, so you
2: started this really in college you got mm-hmm. an internship with the Office of Historic Preservation at the state yes huh, okay
0: That's so the first two quarters I just interned and got units and then they hired me my senior year so I worked part-time mm-hmm. there which was great I mean i started out doing really mundane things <laughs> um, but gradually advanced yeah. um, but it was a great learning experience and it was really the in many ways the beginning of the preservation profession as we know it, because of having people administering laws. And so I was on the national register section and on the survey section. So it was a great place to begin.
2: Yeah. And how many years did you work there? So when you graduated college, then you went to work there full time.
0: Mm, Yes. Yeah, and then they have this weird kind of thing. You can only work so many hours, and c- tied to the park rangers. Yep. So um, I worked there, and then I went to work for a consultant. And then I came back after I had more hours that I could spend <laughs> at work. So, um, so no, it was it was it was it was really good because I just I made so many contacts throughout the state in preservation, and just I learned so mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. Uh, about the types of buildings, the types of history,
1: how all the rules work. I was going to say work. it's a sort of a bird's eye <laughs> view of all. The stuff, Mm -hmm.
2: yeah. So, how long did you work? I mean, it sounds like it was a little on and off because you had park ranger hours. That's
1: well, it wasn't
0: park ranger hours, it's it's sort of this way they don't have to provide benefits. It's like uh, you can work, like, I don't know how many days it was, but it was like basically you could work nine months.
1: Mm.
0: And I didn't, when I was in school, I didn't work full time, so yeah. um, So, how
2: long did did you work there under those? I was
0: sort of back and forth um, until. 1982, okay. when I um, got I w- was hired by the city of Pasadena hmm. as a planner to be the staff to their Cultural Heritage Commission, mm-hmm. and was lucky to be there at the time they were doing um, the redevelopment of old Pasadena. So oh, I yeah. was very involved with that. Hmm which was um, just a really intellectually I- interesting thing to do.
2: Yeah. Well, and I could go down a really big urban planning geek hole with that, um, which I will resist, but I do think it's interesting. I, I mean, can just geek think, out with you. Yeah, I know. I know. That's a thing. <laughs> um, I there will be more just than planner geeks, although probably a high percentage of them listening to this, probably not all, all of them. Um, but, you know, Old Town Pasadena is always held up as an example of sort of like organic revitalization and, and, you know, a lot to do with sort of how they handled the streetscapes and the park and all that stuff but sort of again without going too far down that hole what do you you know from that time and you were obviously you know young and you know kind of you had had this great beginning but still come making your way Mm -hmm. what do you remember about all of that sort of time and sort of what you learned there and kind of what you remember as being sort of unique about that whole experience
0: well, since you mentioned unique, I, I, you referred to it as Old Town Pasadena. One of the things that we really tried to do as a tagline was it's not Old Town Pasadena because any town can have an old town. Mm-hmm. It's Old Pasadena. Yeah. So if you look at the branding of Old Pasadena, it does say Old Pasadena. Right. But in really trying to make it that this place is very special, that the, this place won't be in Glendale, this place won't mm. be um, you know, in Pomona, that this is a very special place. So that was one of the things that we worked on. I did the National Register nomination for Old Pasadena so that the tax credits would be available hmm. to the developers. I mean, one thing that the, I'm really proud of, and this was all the people I work with, I don't take credit for this, but just being part of a team is that there were only two historic buildings demolished to create all of that parking. Oh, uh-huh. And, um, and that was b- because we looked at parking differently, that it mm-hmm. didn't need to be right outside yeah. <laughs> the door. Yeah. And so that was important that, that cause there is that the parking really made that successful. It's easy to get in. It's easy to get out. It's less easy now, like at Christmas, but, right. um, And
2: it's not tied to. I mean, we have a mutual friend who I probably won't name on this, but that knows (laughs) way too much about parking, and always taught me that it's also important that it wasn't tied to particular retail. It wasn't like retail, retail, retail. It was like all in one place, and then you had to get out and walk around and you know experience other things than what you were there to go do. Um, So that's interesting.
0: So no, so Old Pasadena was was a a truly um, great experience because I got to like see what happened, and and one of the things that I think we didn't anticipate. Was it became it became big box really quickly, mm. and I don't know how much that was the '80s and just everything was going big box. But when we first really were working on it, there were a lot of more kind of individual types of businesses, you know, artists creating businesses, and you know, so that it was it was um, very um, distinct and individual. Okay. And you know, now all Pasadena really is basically chains
2: yeah I mean that's the one thing I think it's was, successful yeah so that's
0: good I yeah, mean that's good for yeah, store yeah, buildings. Yeah, that yeah. you know it's a, a successful place but um I think the 80s really were the turn mm-hmm. when success was measured in how many chain stores you have
2: yeah yeah and that, so you just said you came down to Pasadena to take that job was that what brought was that your first time living in Los Angeles mm-hmm. was that what brought you that was to my first
0: job with benefits
2: <laughs> <laughs> well that's you know one <laughs> step at a time It's great and did you live in Pasadena I did yeah so
0: I I lived um Two blocks from work, from City Hall, mm-hmm. which was the kind of the anti-LA stereotype. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So when I would go back to Davis, people would chide me for living in Los Angeles. It's like I commuted further when I lived in yeah, Davis. Right. But um, but no, it was it was it was great. Pasadena is a really phenomenal town with amazing mm-hmm. history, and yeah. you know I had to. You know, was it working with great people and really, you know, the Heritage is the nonprofit there. And so kind of having that partnership with um, the nonprofit and the city, we were able to get a lot done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, people didn't really even know what we were doing. <laughs> yeah.
2: And how long were you there?
0: Five years. Five
2: years. Mm-hmm. So then where from there?
0: Then um, I got married, and my husband and I, we were both from Northern California, and thought we wanted to go back to Northern California. So mm. we went to San Francisco. We thought whoever gets the first job will move, and mm. he got the first job. <laughs> so we moved to San Francisco, and which was a dream. When you mm-hmm. grew up in Sacramento, believe me, yeah. you always want to live in San Francisco. It's the city, right? Especially in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we moved to San Francisco, which was great. And I was mm-hmm. really fortunate to get a job working at the National Park Service doing historic preservation. So oh. I've, now I've been at all levels local, yeah. state, and federal.
2: So you, oh, so you got a job at the National Park Service doing preservation mm-hmm. so what does that look like at the National Park Service
0: so what the projects I worked on were that there's a tax credit available if you rehab historic buildings that mm-hmm. are on the National Register and it has to be reviewed it's basically a design review process so I worked on that um, for the western oh, if, it's States. On the Nas-
2: if it's on the National Register of Historic Places is that is that under the National Park Service yeah. oh I see okay got yeah. it yeah yeah Um, I'm sorry I interrupted you. So you got that job up there. So
0: worked on the tax credit projects, which I'd done in Pasadena, but not to the same extent. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I really learned how to read plans Mm -hmm. and... You know the Secretary of Interior standards or rehabilitation, and but it was great because we were working with developers across nine states in the mm-hmm. West. Oh. so we didn't get to travel that much, but you know I got to see the pictures. <laughs> so, but it was really removed. I, I loved it there, and I loved the people I was working with. But it was just it was just so removed from actual seeing buildings get built. Yeah, and you know rehabbed and 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 everything. And so oh, because it
2: was just you were really working on really high level policy stuff, tax, really important stuff that was people were taking advantage of, but you weren't like feeling that right. you know yeah. you weren't seeing the results of what yeah. you're doing I mean
0: basically they send plans, I say, This looks good. <laughs> um, or, you know, this doesn't look so good. Yeah, so yeah, those yeah. calls weren't as much fun. Right. But um but so it was more just just reviewing what they were doing as opposed to kind of being part of the the solution of trying mm-hmm. to figure out the problem. So When the job came open at the LA Conservancy in 1992, I applied, never thinking that I would get it, Mm -hmm. um, because I had no fundraising experience. Because Mm. you work for government, you're not supposed to raise money, (laughs) but that's an important thing at a (laughs) nonprofit.
2: Turns out. (laughs) So, so how long were you with the? How long were you in San Francisco? Four years. Four years, and so you moved up there because your husband got a job up there, Mm -hmm. and then but you're sort of at. I mean, it's interesting, but sort of not exactly what you're
0: looking for. And, and also, we really missed LA. Hmm. So it's it, you know, being from Northern California, the stereotype is that you know there's this big disconnect and. I don't think either one of us feel that way mm-hmm. and so it was um we really missed the energy of LA mm. kind of the permeability mm-hmm. and so we were excited about coming back here
2: yeah so so you heard about the job opening so the LA Conservancy was founded when in
0: 1978
2: okay 78 and so this is what like the well you said 1992 is when you got the job mm-hmm. so so it'd been around for a while mm-hmm. and then did you just hear about it because you're in these circles and somebody said hey this job's open who had the job before you
0: um, a person called Jay Rounds. Okay. He was there for four years. And then before him, the first executive director was Ruth Ann Lair.
2: Okay. So you were the th- you third. are the third. Yeah. Um, <laughs> As of today. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> um, so you heard about that job opening. You said, you know, we missed L.A. And I kind of missed the hands-on. And it's obviously the L.A. Conservancy. And at that point, like in 1992... Was the LA Conservancy, like, where? what was its reputation in the world? Because now you've been in this, I mean, it's been the only world you've really been doing. So what was its sort of rep- reputation within that world as the, like, effectiveness? And I'm not saying this about any of your predecessors or anything, but okay. it was just a little newer at that point. And LA certainly wasn't known as, seen as partly, I mean, this is the work you guys have been doing. It wasn't seen as a kind of city where that was, like, that relevant. <laughs> so what, what what, you know, what were you inheriting, I guess? Or what were you going for at that point?
0: Well, it was a um, the conservancy. Uh, sort of our founding is really based on the fact that the Central Library downtown, which everybody loves, the crown jewel of downtown, mm-hmm. that it was proposed for demolition, mm-hmm. and the librarians wanted more space. They didn't feel they were able to do their mission, which mm-hmm. was you know, information services. Mm-hmm. So they proposed um, tearing it down, basically building a library on the first two floors, and then building a high rise above with a developer. And so a group of concerned citizens came together and like all great movements (laughs) and um, founded the LA Conservancy and we worked very closely with the AIA the LA chapter of Mm -hmm. the AIA um, because they were absolutely critical to this and really built a a coalition Mayor Bradley Mm -hmm. you know was behind saving the building and ultimately working with uh, McGuire Thomas Mm -hmm. that was how the solution was created to do a transfer of development rights rights from the library to both library tower and and the, the gas company building. Mm-hmm. So that is how this beautiful building was yeah. brought back to life yeah. and was restored to have the real luster and sheen that it does today.
2: So you were in Pasadena during that time, did I got that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, some of it. So do you remember from that, I mean obviously you were sort of focused on other things, but like do you remember that happening while you were here, did you did you follow that stuff? I followed
0: it and came down to a panel discussion that that um I think the LA Conservancy actually put on hmm. um to to hear about it. We had our own library issue in Pasadena.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so yeah, it was did, you know there was a lot of attention to this, but I think from that beginning of trying to find the solution, which which was our approach on mm-hmm. the library is you know not that the librarians have to have a you know a library that doesn't help yeah, people, yeah right of course, but how do how do we do what the librarians need? How do we um, keep the building? And that's been the, kind of the really the critical. Um, focus of the conservancy all these years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what happened is that there was a very large addition put onto the library. Right. That's where they have their library of their dreams. Right, right. And then right. the historic library serves many needs. Right.
2: And everybody's now read the library book, so we know the story better. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so in 1992, the job comes open. So, so this conservancy really had gotten pretty well known within the preservation community and, and in LA largely for saving the library. And then what, when, when that job came open, okay, so let me go back. So you decided I'm going to apply for the job. You obviously get it. You and your husband moved back down basically for you to take the mm-hmm. job. Yeah. And so, um, so at that point, when you sort of stepped into the role, what were the sort of highest priorities at the time? What, you know, what did you, when you like walk in on your first day, what's, you know, what are you confronted with?
0: Well, it was funny because my first day I was saying to my husband, like, well, you know, this is the first time I have been the boss. So, like, I'm used to someone telling me what to do yeah. my first day. So, like, the first day I was like, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to be doing. And then I didn't have to worry about that. But it was busy ever from that first day. But, um, <laughs> but so, I, I had, like, a month um, to kind of settle in. Mm-hmm. And then I was chairing the State Preservation Conference that year, and it was in Eureka. And so we went back up for the, the conference, and that's where – the Ferndale earthquake happened. Mm. So we had this mm. big seven point something mm. earthquake um, and trying to be responsible for, you know, 700 people um, in an earthquake is not fun. Mm-hmm. And then came back and then two weeks later, the riots happened. So mm. my first like couple months at the Conservancy were... Just, you know, really like earthquake, riot, <laughs> and I was like, what are the locusts coming? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, <clears throat> a year and a half later, we had the Northwood earthquake. <laughs> so it was, it, it's hard to talk about sort of. You know what were we trying to do the the, the first year or two? Just it was just it you was just total by fire. reacting. It was yeah. just like okay, we have to go here, we have to do this, and um, and 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 really, in some ways, that was good because it we, we made a lot of relationships and partnerships yeah. in the work that we were doing, and I think positioned us for some of the work we wanted to do in more neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But it also was just you know just total reacting.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I mean, it not, not that anybody would wish an earthquake or riot, or anything else on anybody but for you as as an organization i would imagine that especially when those kinds of things happen it also highlights like the the importance of what you're doing you know that you have to make this a determination of these buildings and what you know and and it 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 becomes the your mission becomes in stark relief Mm -hmm. you know pretty quickly i would imagine and gave you a platform to talk about the stuff that you guys have been trying to talk about
0: it is, and it's, it's interesting. Has, I, I had two earthquakes pretty close together because we were in San Francisco for Loma Prieta, and I was on a team that the Park Service put together to go into the communities that were hard hit on Loma Prieta. And, you know, one of the lessons that I you know, learned on that painfully is huh. that, you know, when a, when a building, when somebody is killed because a piece of a building falls on them, mm-hmm there is just this bad building killed people must die and you know so must be demolished yeah, yeah. and so there was a lot of that in Loma Prieta and mm-hmm. LA was really lucky in um, in Northridge because the the vision 88 had already gone through so almost I mean like all the um, the, um, the the brick building, the non-reinforced masonry brick buildings, had been reinforced to mm. the point that they didn't fall off and hit people. Mm. So the only buildings that killed people in <laughs> Northridge, and I don't mean to make light of this yeah, of course. at all, no, right. were not historic buildings. Yeah. And that changed the dynamic mm. so much mm. in talking about how do we save these buildings. Not that there weren't there wasn't significant damage mm-hmm. to historic buildings but a piece of it hadn't fallen off yeah. and clocked somebody
2: they all of a sudden didn't seem like this dangerous thing that you had to do trade-offs to save versus not, you know like you might save but they might be unsafe or whatever and so it you guys so, so it changed that paradigm for you mm-hmm. guys yeah that's interesting um so yeah so the first couple of years it's just truly trial by fire in some ways, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of, as you think about those early years, what are some of the things that really stick out to you in terms of either like something you're really proud of or something that was really unexpected or, you know, when you, because now you've been, I mean, if I'm doing my math, I mean, you're on 27. twenty twenty seven, 27. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you think about those first, you know, four or five years where you hadn't raised money before, you hadn't been the boss before, you've been in this field but as a more of a public sector government person, and now you're running this nonprofit, like, w- what was the learning curve like? I mean, how did when you think back now, what do you what is, what sticks out to you?
0: I think the learning curve was really tough, and but I think in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i relied on that a lot um, during this time I, I mean I had been lucky that I had been on a board I'd been on the California Preservation Foundation board so I did have experience from the board member side yeah. mm-hmm. and I think that that helped me in really working with the board in a meaningful way and engaging the board uh, it, from the very beginning and I think that that is really important because we have tremendous people that serve on our boards both at you know from you know the very beginning to right. to now who's and your first
2: who's your first board chair
0: Uh, Margaret Bach, who was our founder. So she founded, she was the founding president. She came back before I was hired because the organization was a little bit of
1: chaos. Mm, mm.
0: So she was my first board chair.
2: So your first board chair was the founder of the organization. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Was that... Helpful, hard, both. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: she's I mean she's just a wonderful person. Yeah. And yeah. Just very um, solid. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just and a a fighter. stable <laughs> yeah, <a> stable <laughs> stabilizing
2: force. Um so so the learning curve was steep. And so then do you when you think back again, sort of going on this trajectory, like is there a part where you're like, Okay, this is where I really felt like I kind of made my bones or cut this figured out, or is it just sort of one step at a time and you never really think you got it until you got it?
0: I wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. So I mean I still may not be there. I mean it's you know we <laughs> when do any of us ever think I know, we've got like, to figure oh, it figured out. God,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. I
2: think
0: I'll just watch T V now. Yeah. Um <laughs> And that, but, uh, but I have to say that I think that's a really good thing because the fact that I've been in this job for 27 years, I wouldn't be here if I was bored. Right. And so the fact that, you know, every day there's some new challenge, you know, whether it's raising money or whether it's this building that's, you know, threatened Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to, you know, do more youth programming now. So Mm -hmm, who are the right partners we want to work with? So, I I mean, I like that the challenge of figuring out what that solution is. And so for me, that's. That's the well real and, and, fun and, part.
2: And I don't want to fast forward too much, but this, the your guys is, I mean, it's interesting because if, if, in the time that you guys have been doing this, that the conversation about historic preservation in LA has just changed so dramatically, especially you doing know, twenty seven years. So I'd imagine I mean, you talked about the paradigm shift and the earthquake and other things, but I'd imagine in the early days, there probably, I mean, early, but you know, early days of your tenure, there probably had to be continue to be almost like making the case for why this was like an important thing. I mean.
0: Yes, I I think we still make it sometimes, but um, we're certainly facing that now, you know, that housing is more important than anything. Yeah, right. So I think we have made really good progress in establishing why preservation matters Mm -hmm. and how preservation makes a better place to live. Mm -hmm. So that part I think we've made some really good progress on and and obviously we have more work to do. Um, but that that kind of changing the dynamic. I mean, you know, I had a presentation that I would do kind of in my early years, and I still have used the slide in PowerPoint. But, you know, sort of saying, you know, does LA have history, and you know, kind of yes or no, and people mm-hmm. oh, I think so. <laughs> yeah. And you know, do it. Does LA have historic buildings? And so I think, you know, in in my early years, I don't think people necessarily got that we did have this history. I mean, mm-hmm. people were starting to really appreciate certain historic neighborhoods, Victorian craftsmen, but. You know, there was not a lot of appreciation for modern. And Mm -hmm. I think that the Conservancy has done a lot to really change people's perceptions of modern architecture Mm -hmm. and its role in Los Angeles. I mean, we have some of the best modern architecture anywhere because so much of our growth-centered post-war and so a lot of our work in terms of education mm-hmm. is really reaching out so that people understand that. And um, this into 2020, the Conservancy will be launching a whole educational initiative on the 70s turn 50. Hmm. So 50 it's the oh, historic demarcation mm-hmm. of what's historic, although things can be designated that aren't 50 years old. But anyway, it's really saying, you know, these buildings do have meaning, mm. even if you don't like them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because <laughs> people have not gotten to hugging the '70s yet. Yeah. No, I was
2: going to ask you actually about that, and I mean, I'm, I guess I'm sort of jumping around a little bit here, but um, I was going to ask you about that because I think that you know, I think now again, largely as a result of the work you guys are doing, you know, there's certain old buildings that now just we would never. It's like it just wouldn't. Be, the civic leadership would would not. They just it's just not even on the table that you would you would tear. I mean, we're sitting in St. Vibes, you know, City Hall. I mean, all these buildings that are just clearly 100% historic. Nobody argues they get it. But so as you've sort of watched this evolution of this conversation and to the point about the fact that, like, sometimes things are significant that aren't as pretty. Sometimes things are significant that are not 100 years old. I mean, have you sort of felt that sort of um, trajectory of having to continue to make the case in different ways and, you know, in different things that aren't so obvious over time?
0: Absolutely. It's, you know, people, but it really changes over time. I mean, now people, you know, people, mid-century modern, oh, that's hot, you know it wasn't 20 years ago and you know so I think people will get there on the 70s but I mean our educational I mean even on staff we're kind of looking at this hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know wait till we get to the 80s so <laughs> um, it's just you know it just takes. T- t- that's why there's this kind of 50 year time period is so mm-hmm. that you have a sense to really look at it the thing is that they become more threatened before they turn 50 so you, you know as preservationists we need to be looking at what are the best buildings or what are the store what are the buildings that tell the best stories to save as opposed to okay we're gonna save what's left here's the mm. last gas station
2: or and just ignoring everything for 50 years and then deciding whether it's historic yeah. trying to do a pro- forecasting almost or something but, yeah almost. but it's
0: just it's just okay there's what's left or there's what we really think is important <laughs> yeah so.
2: so as okay so you took this job so what what when you look back now what do you think your first big biggest or high-profile like win if you will that got you know a lot of public attention you were really in the front doing the press you know all this stuff. because i know there's like the day-to-day stuff that a lot of people may see in their neighborhoods or may know because they have a certain interest but then there's the ones that <clears throat> you know are, are big and city-wide so what was the first thing you worked on that sort of took on that
0: well i mean there there were i mean the, the earthquake was definitely part of that and we were very much out there mm. and we got a grant program mm-hmm. put together with the national trust for mm-hmm. historic preservation so that was big, um, probably the biggest fight, and that I think would, I would still characterize that um, within the conservancy's history was you know, where we are here, Saint Viviana. Mm-hmm. and um, it relates to the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, it did have some minimal damage, mm-hmm. um, which was exa- exaggerated um, because it was—it's ver- it, very easy to tear down a historic building if it has earthquake damage. Mm. It's much easier, anyway. So oh, Interesting. And but don't tell anyone.
1: Me, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. Just dis- dis- <laughs> (laughs)
2: Um, No, but so actually it's interesting though. So you mean under the like law, like even if it's been designated or something like if it has. Not if it's under the law, but it's just
0: like there's and and there's just like there's an effort to, you know, resolve the issue. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, so we're sitting here. So let's do this as a little bit of a case study. So let's let's tell the story behind this. So the earthquake happened Mm -hmm. and there was some damage to this building. And but it,
0: the services were still being held here. It was okay. not yellow tagged. It was not okay. red tagged. Okay. President Clinton was here for Easter services mm-hmm. after the earthquake. Mm. So, like here where we're sitting. Yeah. Uh huh. Was here for services. So, mm-hmm. probably sitting where you are. <laughs> and um, so, clearly, this was not a was not dangerous. significantly damaged. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, and I don't want to get into all the, you know, back and forth of the controversies. Then, but I think now that it's saved and we all understand that and we talk a little bit about it. So the archdiocese, in your view, was maybe using that as an excuse to try to do something different that they wanted to do. Because it's obviously not very big. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that they, I mean, obviously they built a much larger cathedral. But in the early days, what is, is it your view that they were sort of using the earthquake as a, as a hook on which to, to take the building down?
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the hooks. They were going to... Then the other one was they were going to build this big masterpiece, architectural masterpiece that with all, with all, everybody would come to. And I mean, this had been kind of a dying parish, mm-hmm. um, a very slow attendance. And what what I just always have loved about this building is it was built in 1876, which is very early for Los Angeles. I mean, people think, we, you know, like we yeah. don't have that many old buildings. Well, 1876 is pretty old. Mm-hmm. And it was built um, by not just Catholics, but like all these different people from the community came together to raise money because the, f- the railroad was coming to Los Angeles that year. The Transcontinental Railroad mm. would, f- would come to Los Angeles that year. So they thought, we need to be a city. We, we oh, have to, we have to like, look like a city. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you look like a city is you have a, a big church <laughs> and um, a cathedral. <laughs> yes, so yeah, yeah. Th- they built it. And so the, But the whole idea that it wasn't just Catholics that you know, raised the money to do this. And when they built it, it would hit held a thousand people. Mm-hmm. There was only ten thousand people in the city of Los Angeles at that point. Wow. So to think about a building could hold ten percent of the population.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean that's pretty amazing. Right, right. Um, just to think about the aspirations right. of Los Angeles right. at that point. Right. You know, yeah, come on, yeah. come on, we can fit a <laughs> few more in. <laughs> so um,
2: Yeah, and I mean looking even sitting here now, thinking back to, you know, other old you know, Pico House or other old buildings that are really old. Nothing this size, I mean, yeah, this for those people, then, in eighteen seventy six this must have seemed you know palatial, I mean it's big now, but mm-hmm. I mean, then it must have just seemed, yeah, so there are ten thousand people here, and they had the audacity to build a building that holds a thousand that's yeah that kind of puts a perspective on it mm-hmm. that's a little bit different, yeah, yeah, so okay, so that's the history of it, and so then they wanted to they but they but their plan was to tear it down, yes, yeah, and did they permits for that have they started that process
0: they um did go to the cultural heritage commission it was designated locally they had a permit from building and safety that they had to abate um something and so they didn't get the permit but they went ahead they to start demolition the thing that's interesting is that the archdiocese sent out a press release mm-hmm. um, before they did this so but the timing was um most of us were in San Jose for the state preservation conference mm-hmm. when they issued the press release. So I got a call from the LA Times um, from one of the reporters saying, "Do you know about this?" And we also started getting phone calls to our office from different people in City Hall mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that wanted us to know. But this was very much driven by the mayor, Mayor Reardon at mm-hmm. the time, and who was very close to the Cardinal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so there was this effort. It was going to be, they were going to demolish the tower, mm-hmm. just the tower. Mm. Um, but then once the tower's down, then you can say, well, it's not really all together anymore. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Excuse um, So anyway, so I flew back. I got the first plane I could get back, hmm. and and was here like at seven in the morning. They'd already they had two cranes, and, and they took the little lantern off the top of the cupola, and there were people in here jackhammering the the seats out and different pieces of marble, and it was definitely an activity scene. And um, so we were able to get a temporary restraining order to stop the demolition, which got us until Monday to go into court.
2: So yeah, I mean. I'm Not to get too granular, but that's fascinating. So, okay, so you're at a conference. You get this call from a reporter saying, and so the the, the Archdiocese puts out a press release saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're tearing or not tearing down, but we're. I mean, they probably said they're modernizing, whatever it is they said. But the point is, it was Mm -hmm. clear that they were doing this project here. You get a call, you're like, oh my god, I got to go back. You fly down here, you come here, and you go to like you, you go to court and say, hey, we this is like irreparable harm. These and what was the I mean, if they got all their permits and stuff, what was the basis under which you? I don't went think to they court? actually
0: had the permit. the The question was whether they had fulfilled their sequel requirements, their California Environmental mm. Quality Act. Mm-hmm. And so, to get a temporary restraining order, it only really stops you either at night or on the weekend, right? So that you can get into court. So right. it, it didn't mean we were going to stop the demolition. It just meant that we had the opportunity to get into court. No, I understand that, but you did tower, but, but
2: you, did that that day. I mean, because Saturday, f- you, f- so you flew back.
0: Saturday morning, yeah.
2: Saturday morning, and that day your people are going into court asking for a TRO. No, we did,
0: you don't go into court on Saturday because court's I was not open. Say, so yeah. you get it over the phone. Oh. So, oh, okay. um, mm. so it was a judge who you Just know you found answered it sympathetic the phone. Judge. <laughs>
2: crazy and and they're here like jackhammering they're and taking see, no si- one
0: knew no one thought we could do this because right. i mean we were just this little preservation scrappy, group and yeah, yeah scrappy i like that yeah. but we were little <laughs> yeah and so i think there was a calculation that oh, they'll never get a, T- a temporary strain or a you know a tro so so they you know at another day they might have been right yeah but we just happened to you know our we had a lawyer that was a pro bono attorney from Shepard Mullen who was phenomenal and you know had a team working with him and so went into court on Monday and so you're
2: just you're you're hearing about this you're obviously burning up the phone lines calling everybody what do we do whatever your lawyer's like okay let me get on it all this stuff find a judge you, you get a judge to basically make your arguments and say look we need time to like hear you need time to hear this mm-hmm. you need to stop them and on the Saturday the judge issues the order the temporary restraining order and they have to like halt the cranes have to stop mm-hmm. and the jackhammering has to stop so that they can go into court on Monday. It's crazy. Okay, so you go to court on Monday. But
0: there's all these cameras here. I mean, we have all the news, uh, you know, media and everything else. So we go into court, the
2: and court. you guys called the media and said, "Hey, I mean, it was that media oh, no, that
0: you the, guys?". Oh no, the archdiocese had the, a press <laughs> release. Okay, so they're just here. <laughs> to, Everyone's this like, result "Oh, of that. this historic building is <laughs> being demolished. We're <laughs> be going to do B-roll." And did you so, come down here to be part? Oh, of Oh, I was here. Like yeah. I was all out, and yeah. they wouldn't let me. You know, it was like they wouldn't let me in. Well, of course, all the workers are like, "No." Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it just was. It, it was. A, it was one of those days, like that I will never forget, yeah. because it was just you know so. Amazing, And the fact that we got the temporary restraining order was amazing. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, then I was with the lawyers on Sunday as they were working on the briefs, getting photos and just different things that they Mm -hmm. needed. So we went into court and the judge said, um, yeah, I think you've got a good case here, which is basically what the TRO does. So then it it set the time to... um, that, so then they they couldn't do that,
2: right? So the so. TRO gets you into court. The judge then decides you have a case, and at that point yeah. they can't do anything. And it, and you brought it under and you brought the case under Sequoia yes. that they hadn't done the proper work to mm-hmm. be allowed to do this on this building. And so then you obviously did you eventually just win? I mean I know this takes a long time, but you eventually won the Sequoia case. Obviously, we won.
0: We ultimately had to file again,
2: mm-hmm. so
0: we we won the first one, which had to do with not doing Sequoia review of the permit. Um, but then, then all
2: that makes them do is go redo it, right? I mean, that doesn't that right. But they have, to,
0: they have to do they have to do some environmental review, which takes a while. Right. So th- they didn't want to do that, and because they wanted to get it down, mm-hmm. and so they looked at doing a variety of things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One was to go to the state legislature to get um, downtown exempted from sequa, mm-hmm. and then when that didn't meet with positive vibes <laughs> <laughs> the they, get, they tried to get wait, they try to get downtown it was, exempted was from sequel. just like
2: no sequel in downtown Los yeah. Angeles period yeah. the end like that's not like adaptive reuse so I mean, then they went
0: like down to like two blocks and <laughs> including this one and so I was flew to Sacramento and I, you know the head of the, re, the redevelopment agency he and I are on the only people on this last flight out mm-hmm. of Sacramento to LA and of course he didn't want to sit with me and um, <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are on Southwest Like this this. <laughs> there's 12 people in a it 's <laughs> 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 funny so um, then, so then there was an effort. The cardinals claimed he was going to move the cathedral to the valley, and that got everybody up in arms. So then the city decided to um, de designate the building, take away the designation of wow. the building. so we went to city council. And Joel Wax was the only councilman that voted against that motion, and so as I was coming out of City Hall, the contractor was going in to pull his demo permit, and we went back to court and got a temporary restraining order again, and went back to court and won again. So,
2: so okay, okay so but, so I mean, obviously, a lot of this is is the cardinal at the time, Cardinal Mahoney, mm-hmm. just doing his. Thing um, and obviously had a lot of influence, but so so they try to do the thing at the state legislature to get exempted from sequoia by like geography or something, which is strange. That doesn't go anywhere, <coughs> and so then so then they actually do a motion to delist the city from the what 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 culture- delist the building? I mean, from de- sorry, the local delist the building, right? From from being locally designated as a cult- cultural historic uh, cultural historic monument. monument. Thank you.
0: It's number seventeen. It was one of the earliest ones in the city.
2: Number seventeen. What's number one?
0: Uh, the uh, Adobe out in um, way out in the valley. I can't remember the name of it. I oh.
2: should know that. Out of the same Fernando Mission or something? No, uh. it's because that's not in the city. Oh um, right, right. Anyway, an ad- Adobe out in the valley. We'll yeah. we'll look it up later. Um, so anyway, so it's an early one though. Yeah. So they go to delist it. Somebody does a motion to delist it, and it, it passes fourteen to one.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow! And so, and so the city council's just sort of at that point thinking that the cardinal wants us and it's the church and it's just you know they're making the case on i guess earthquake damage and whatever else and they just they just do it
0: I mean, this was the power structure of, of L.A. really saying, this is what we want to do. The Cardinal wants this. This will be good for downtown. This will revitalize downtown. And so Oh, I see. So he's of, also
2: making the case that it's like part of the whole revitalization right. and it'll be bring more people and all this stuff. So
0: we were criticized because we're trying to revitalize downtown, but yet we're stopping this major project. And it's like you don't revitalize by destroying right so this it was it was a a really meaningful lesson um, because really like every media was like printing this stuff, and this is really before the web. And so, sure. like, uh, and our where we lived then, um, our bedroom was on the street side, and so I could hear the paper plop every morning, like at five thirty or between five thirty and six. And I'd be like, oh, I got uh, I I to go, go see what it. he <laughs> says now about us." And so you could see the pr- the progression that it started that that we were on the front page of the f- of the front section or the front page of what was in the metro section. Mm-hmm. The entire month of June, except for one day. Wow. So it's just like he just kept it in the, yeah. in the media. Like he thought he would win this by doing this. But what was interesting is it was all like, you know, cardinal, cardinal, cardinal. And he always had a, a cardinal-colored hard hat mm-hmm. in all of the photos because mm-hmm. it was so dangerous. Right. And um, and then we started as we, as our points got more understandable because most yeah, right. journalists you, don't know what yeah, that means. Sure. And so it was like, okay, you filed a lawsuit. What does that mean? <laughs> So but we, we, we were following like where like we're, when, when we actually are, the Conservancy was before the jump we mm-hmm. knew we were starting to get a little traction <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know that we weren't kind of at the end of the story yeah. but it, because it was all of what the Cardinal was saying versus like why you know this was this was wrong.
2: When we come back, we'll hear how Saint Vibbs was finally saved how the proverbial three-martini lunch may have helped convince Tom Gilmore to buy it, and we'll talk about a building that ultimately did not get saved, including my role in that particular story. Stay tuned. When we left off, Linda and the Conservancy were battling not just the Archdiocese, but the L.A. City Council, the State Legislature, and the L.A. Times to save the historic St. Viviana's Cathedral. We know how this story turns out, but at the time, the outcome was anything but clear. And, even though this seems like a years-long fight, as you're about to hear from Linda, this was really all just one long, hot summer. So, so I don't know if you know these dates in your head, so do you remember the date, of the Saturday flyback, first DRO, when was that? June 1st. June 1st, what year? 1996.
0: 1996.
2: So, then you follow your whole court date, Then so then when was the city council, I mean, roughly... That was August. August of the same year.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This was all like one really long, hot summer.
2: Okay. So you do your secret case. You win your secret case. They try to go to Sacramento. This is all happening in the summer of 1996. That doesn't work. So then, August, they do the city council motion 14 to 1 with Joel Wax against. The contractor's like, okay, well, now it's not a historic cultural monument anymore, so I can just do what I want. It's now just any other, any old building. So then you rush back in, what, same day? Same day. Same day. Get another TRO. And you, you've already filed and won the sequa case, but now this is th- a different sequa case. Okay, so I was going to say, did you file again under different CEQA? Because they probably had they done additional sequa stuff.
0: No, they hadn't really done anything. So, and <clears throat> our uh, the second lawsuit was about the fact you can't de-designate a building and say there's no environmental impact <laughs> because <laughs> then you can f- pull a demo permit. Yeah, so yeah. we won that one. Um, oh,
2: so the second case was more just like you can't—they can't do what they just did, right. basically.
0: So, so then it was left with. So the, the, what really I mean, like the part that changed the dynamic, was that everybody was so afraid the cardinal was going to move the cathedral to the valley because in LA, like, oh right. my God! You <laughs> know. How could it
2: be in the valley? Did he have a site? I mean, did I he think he
0: was I think he, he played this very yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. He was, had
2: somewhere he was looking at. Yeah, and so
0: yeah. that's when the county came together and said, "Oh look, you don't have to go to the valley. We've got this lovely site over here." Hmm. And so when he had another location, he was happy. And so, that, and to some extent, that's why the lawsuit stopped. I mean, they didn't appeal the second lawsuit. They appealed the first one and we won an appellate. But, um, but that, would, that changed that dynamic. So then we had to figure out how to save the building uh, because he really didn't care about it anymore.
2: Uh, and so I see. So the county identified the land where the current cathedral is as just them being part of all of this hubbub. And so once the cardinal had somewhere that he could build his cathedral and do what he wanted to do, then he wasn't hellbent on destroying this anymore. He didn't obviously, but he didn't <laughs> clearly did not care about it. So at that point, you're now not facing the imminent threat. But now you've kind of are like, well, but we want to save this very important building for the city and the people who own it don't care about it. So, yeah, then what do you do?
0: so that and that was you know so there's sort of you know like two you know two components here like you have to save something initially and then you have to figure out what to do long term and Mm -hmm. so what we did is we um we brought together a bunch of architects to do a charrette to look at nine different options mm. um, for the for the cathedral, not to be a cathedral, because that was one of the rules um, from the archdiocese, but um, mm. but to look at what other uses could be. So mm-hmm. they were they were really out of the box. I mean, one was to build a hotel because there, there was a property next door, or to build a hotel and this be the lobby of a modern hotel, or to you know have it be the new INS building <laughs> and have this be mm. the lobby. It could be sanctuary space. Yeah, So right. yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so there were, there was. whole thing about a japanese trade center because this is you know close to little tokyo Mm -hmm. so they looked at we looked at a lot of different things had an exhibit and um you know we were so surprised that only one reporter came when we had the opening (laughs) (laughs) exhibit so learned that one um but but we started getting interest and then we started meeting with you know every developer we knew
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: saying you know have we got a piece of property for you Mm. and and most people didn't necessarily see the vision. So when, you know, we reached out to Tom and um, our lawyer, Jack Rubens, um, on, this, on this issue, he and I took Tom to lunch, and I think Tom had a few drinks, and um, <laughs> we kept pushing to his side of the table.
2: In case you think she's kidding, listen to this quick outtake from my interview with Tom. And she said, um, you know, why don't you, why don't you buy San Fabianas? And I was like... What are you talking about? It's like what am I going to do with that? Yeah, I going to do with the cathedral. Yeah, and then she said, "Let me show you, you know, we'll take a look." Mm-hmm. So so I was like, "I yeah, I don't think so." And then we had like another martini and then I was like, "Yeah, sure, <laughs> let's do it." Yeah, yeah. Okay, back to Linda.
0: Um really pitched him on this and Tom was the one that understood the vision yeah,
2: this is Tom Gilmore Tom here Gilmore, yeah. on this podcast in a different episode who, who partly gave me the idea to interview you I'm glad you did um so you so you and he told me this and I don't remember so but this is in what year roughly
0: uh probably 97 because I mean yeah. the cardinal wasn't gonna wait around forever right so we knew we had to like, but the
2: point is at this point Tom hadn't I mean, he he even started the fourth and main project
0: that he got so well known for? I think he was just accumulating property at that
2: point. He was just starting to do that. So he was around, and I know he was doing stuff in the jewelry district and whatever, but the point is he wasn't like this super obvious choice. I mean, you were just talking to anybody you could find who would sit down with you. And I mean, I'm I'm sure. (laughs) No, I mean, totally. I mean, you know, it's like, Like, why not? You know, we finally found someone. So it wasn't... And so, and you kind of just pitched the whole thing to Tom, and Tom says... Okay, like I'll I'll take a run at it. I'll look at it. Yeah.
0: So he looked at it and started meeting with the cardinal, and they negotiated a deal. And then it took him several years to close escrow. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't saved yet. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. So it was funny. um, And has
2: it now been redesignated as a cultural? No, because
0: that motion was was. taken away because it wasn't lawful.
2: Oh, and it's so as part it of the court settlement. It got mm-hmm. D, it got D de- it, de- it, devalu- it never was delisted. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. it is now still and never was not yeah. a historic cultural monument. Yeah. Is it on the national register? It is not
0: at this mm, point. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But now you've got Tom owning it, he probably yeah. So so it took him twelve years to close escrow and then and 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 now he owns it. I mean, now he owns it. But, like,
0: the whole escrow thing was tough because, you know, and he sold part of the property to the city mm-hmm. for the library, the little Tokyo library. And so um, my husband and I went to Italy, and every every church we went into, I was lighting a candle. <laughs> and, like, about the third church, because I was, like, asking for money. And um, he was... Um, she was like, "What are you doing? We're not Catholic." And I was like, "But Viviana is Catholic. And, you know, we <laughs> yeah, need to get right. <laughs> We need <laughs> to get escort. We just clothes. mojo. We need, we need mojo here." <laughs> so I just lit my candles so all through funny. Italy, and it still took a while after that for escort to close.
2: And that—that that was just the complexity of the of the of the deal. Essentially. Well, it was
0: Tom just raising enough money.
1: Mm, yeah. I mean,
2: yeah. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: Downtown was a very different place then.
2: No, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Like, and it wasn't exactly obvious what this was going to be, you know? And now, obviously, it's an awesome event space, and you got the restaurant here and whatever. But even that, I was talking about that, and I remember, you know, I try to keep a list of, like, restaurants I'm interested in or whatever, and I think my... in you know, Redbird's been open for three, year, two or three years, and I think, like, the first time I made a note of it was, like, seven years ago <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah, um, it took a while. Yeah.
0: And it's funny... Um, my husband and I came like in that that quiet opening, yeah, um, before it gets public, and um, and we just got an email because we used to go to their other restaurants, and <laughs> so it wasn't like it was like a conservancy yeah. thing. That's funny. and so we came, and this was like the week between Christmas and New Year's, and so which was I'd like to be here. It was just an amazing thing. Like, the yeah. first time... Like, we had the first party here at the Conservancy did. Oh. And, I mean, Tom felt that was appropriate, mm-hmm. as did we. Yeah. And <laughs> so yeah. it was a great party because, like, people just really wanted to have fun because this had been such, such yeah. a... It's tough. I mean, yeah. our board, you know, they were being called by people, yeah. trying to lobby them. I mean, it was just...
2: And what year was that party?
0: I think it was... 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. So, so it
2: starts in June 96 and yeah. 2001, maybe five years later is when you're actually here and having a party and have some level of confidence that <laughs> it's yeah. going to be okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and the, the rectory was a longer solution mm-hmm. and, you know, that's why with having Redbird come in, that was really important. Yeah. But, um, but just sort of, you know, being here and seeing it, it it's amazing. So anyway, so we're at dinner at the, the former rectory, which is what Redbird right, is now. Right. And the both of us because you know he obviously was keeping me together during this big fight (laughs) Mm -hmm. and was just sort of we just kept looking at everything and so the kind of the the, you know the head person came over and said is something wrong you keep looking around and I was like no And, and you know John said oh no you know my wife was really involved with saving this building and he was like, oh my God. So then he kept coming to our table and, and like wanting to hear the story but then he would have to go <laughs> off and do something. And so finally at the end of the meal, he brought over, a, you know, like a bunch of desserts and just like, can I sit down at the table? Can we just talk? <laughs> so, but it was great because yeah. because you want people to know the history because sure. that's sort of the thing with the Central Library mm-hmm. is if people don't know it was threatened, right. then... They take it for granted. They do. Yeah. And if you take it for granted, then things go away. Right. So... The people at Redbird should know, both the people serving, mm-hmm. you know, the fabulous food and mm-hmm. the people that are there yeah. should know that this is a place, you know, that has this amazing history. Right. And, you know, to tell that story because we, you know, we, that's part of how you build the ethic yeah. for why preservation matters.
2: Right. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And during that time, I mean, obviously, I mean, this, especially in those early days, this had to be a, a, like a huge chunk of what you were doing. I mean, this had to be the major thing you were working on. During that whole, well, not the whole five years, because court, courts are what they are. But
0: Well, the courts didn't take it. We were done with the court at the end of summer.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, that was all done by the end of that. That was it? Yeah. So then when did he get, yeah, so when did the county offer the land? In that summer. Oh, okay. So that was just all like this three or four months of cr- mm-hmm. like just total craziness. That.
0: But just kind of going through the newspaper articles... It's amazing, and like, and so I was also stopping at the Catholic Church to pick up their news, their mm, weekly newspaper because mm-hmm. that they told a different story, <laughs> and uh, but what was amazing was just sort of how people really, really attacked the Conservancy, and so the mm. Downtown News. Um, there was this editorial by sue laris that says conservancy kissed the ring um <laughs> and so when we had the big reopening party um we, we invited sue and and she had forgotten that and mm-hmm. so it, uh, one of the in the stairwell we were projecting the headlines mm-hmm. um to tell the story uh-huh. and so she saw it and she came uh-huh. up to me she said I did not remember that. That was kind of mean. <laughs> and I'm uh, like, <well>, yeah. <laughs> and so she wrote the editorial the next week at the Downtown News saying, boy, was I wrong. Mm. And that mm. was really meaningful yeah, like, for people yeah. to, to say, you know, I just thought this couldn't happen. And, and it, you know, it wasn't that she didn't think the building was worthy. It was just that yeah, you know, just this is, this is not th- going to th- happen. Th- 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 yeah, right. You just and, you know, so so that was really, you know, very meaningful for her to be able to say that. And, yeah. And do it in print yeah
2: (laughs) yeah i've i've already interviewed her for this but i didn't know that story i would have asked her about it (laughs) um uh that's yeah that's really interesting so okay so then so then you're going so that that, i mean that's just just because we're sitting here too i mean that was such an interesting sort of huge thing and i think like you said in many ways you know the fact that the, the scrappy la conservancy took on the mighty archdiocese and essentially won you know is a huge I mean, it's a huge thing, and now you know it's such an accepted part. And you know, now with everything that's gone on around downtown, and this is all part of it. So that's that's really interesting. Um, so I think we would be remiss if we didn't <laughs> talk a little bit about the Ambassador Hotel project, which how um, we met each other. <coughs> how we met each other, <laughs> yes, which I have a little bit of personal history with. Mm-hmm. Um, I should probably say I worked for the Los Angeles Unified School District at the time that we were thinking about building a school at that site. Um, that was obviously extraordinarily uh, another high-profile project. Um, One where, and we can talk a lot about this, but one where the hotel ultimately did not um, get saved. Uh, Certain very specific elements to it at the Coconut Grove and other things did. For those of you who don't, for the people who don't know, Ambassador Hotel was, um, you know, in its heyday, one of the sort of preeminent, not just hotels, but really sort of gathering places for Los Angeles. It's a lot of reason why, you know, Wilshire Boulevard is one of the main sort of thoroughfares across Los Angeles. Um, the Coconut Grove was the famous nightclub where so many people got their start. Um,
0: So you were listening the whole time when we talked about how significant (laughs) this building was. You know, I,
2: I should say, I mean, I think a lot of us, and maybe me foremost among them, you know, wanted wanted to save it you know wanted to save it um and without i mean we could talk and we just we just did off air for a long time about this um but without getting too much into that i'm just wondering from your perspective so when you look back on that obviously it's a little different right because it's not you know you talked about the developer at the century plaza you know other things it's not a traditional developer it was you know it was a school district that had been you know not in use for a long time um Uh, Donald Trump at one point bought the property and then the school district eminent domained Donald Trump. Um, The school district won that lawsuit. Which he
0: filed a lawsuit against, which is sort of funny now.
2: Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) The school district actually won that lawsuit during my first week or two on the job. Um, But when you... At the conservancy when you were there, I mean, obviously the Ambassador Hotel has been something that's been significant for a long time. So, was that something that was on your radar sort of early on in the project, in your ter- tenure at the conservancy? Like, is that something that you sort of knew about? Okay, yeah, this is one of the big ones that we got to keep an eye on. Like, wh- how was that on your sort of end?
0: The, the ambassador predates me at the conservancy. So, that it was closed in the. <coughs> sorry. Um, It was closed in the um, 1980s. Yeah, it was closed in the 80s. And at the point that it closed, it was clearly threatened. And so the Conservancy did a nomination. There was a deal brokered at city council, that it wouldn't be designated, but that um, a demo permit would have to be issued um, before it could be demolished. The idea being it just wouldn't be preemptive demolition and then nothing happens mm-hmm. for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So that was the co- political compromise. Um, so when I came, there had already been efforts by the, by the school district to tear, tear it down to build smaller school Mm -hmm. at that point the conservancy did do a lawsuit which we settled that and then then it sort of went away in the eminent domain litigation until it came back
2: (laughs) (laughs) so what was your first when you what was the first thing you did at you know what was your first official action when when you were there I think you mentioned having to go to the school board or something what was the, what That had was to do
0: that? with the settlement of the first lawsuit. So in 1992 part of the settlement was we had 20 30 minutes at the school board hearing to make our case on why um, the, the building could be incorporated into a school or should be saved. And, and and that's important because it's if you've ever been to a public hearing you usually get 1 minute, 2 minutes mm-hmm. and it's hard to make a long um, claim. So the unfortunate side of that um, meeting was that that was where the school board was voting to lower teacher salaries. <laughs> so there were a lot of people in the room who this was not their issue. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but we did our, our pitch and um, you know, it was over. And then ultimately, you know, as often happens with development projects or you know, projects of this magnitude, it went away because there were other things happening.
2: Yeah. And that was before 1992. That was before Trump bought it, right?
0: that yes the school district was going to do a school there decided that Belmont would be cheaper right and so they um they 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 ended their um purchase of it oh, for part of it I don't think and I that's even knew that. what trump was filing a lawsuit on because he felt that the value of the property had gone down mm. during the time that the school district had um was an escrow oh i see for so part the of district
2: the okay no cuz yeah so the district had Eminent domain, Donald Trump, and then there was a lawsuit around all that, Mm -hmm. and then you guys were there, and that was a a weird meeting. And then they were going to do Belmont, and then Belmont went south, and the ambassador got revived by Jackie Goldberg at the time. Belmont
0: still went forward.
2: No, I mean, but during the time when Belmont went south, one of the reasons they ended up looking at the ambassador is that when the board killed Belmont, they said, but look for other sites that you could build a school, and... I, I believe that's when Jackie Goldberg said, well, we should look at the Ambassador Hotel site. Um, so so then fast forward, <coughs> the district prevails in its lawsuit against Donald Trump over in the domain. They now own the property free and clear. Um, I, that, Like I said, that was early in my tenure there. So, But when, when that word came down that, okay, the district owns the property and now is going to try to build a school on it, we, were you sort of immediately like, okay, we've got to we got to go figure this out?
0: Absolutely. so, as as we talked about, the conservancy is very focused at a win-win. Mm-hmm. So, how do we look at building a school here and still keeping the building? So, the, you know, the option is to build the school around it. It's a big was a big lot, right? Or converting the building into a school. So, mm-hmm. those were the two approaches we looked at.
2: Yeah. And so, you guys came forward and said, okay, well, here's a way we could build a school. You could build around a school, and then. There was a the whole secret process that, you know, looked at a bunch of different alternatives. So when you look back on that now, obviously there was a, a big sort of thing around that. And, and we, we talked about this, that, you know, the Kennedy family became a part of that. The Kennedy family became very strongly for tearing it down, which I think was surprising to a lot of people. But when you look back on it now, what sort of sticks out to you in terms of Things that you would have done maybe differently or, or or was there anything or something that you sort of took away from it in terms of how it was different from other fights or, you know, sort of when you look back on that, what do you, what sticks out to you?
0: I, I guess in looking back at this, and certainly I've spent a fair amount of time <laughs> looking back at this issue, what are the lessons to be learned?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, is sometimes you just lose and mm. that I think really was the case here. I mean, often when we're fighting to save a building and particularly, you know, earlier in our history, you think like, oh, we could have done that. Oh, well, oh yeah, we could have we could have done that. And there's nothing that I think we could have done mm-hmm. because once the Kennedys did weigh in, it just changed the whole dynamic. I mean, I had an LA Times reporter tell me on the phone. You know, these, you know, um, neutral reporters. <laughs> you know, well, you've you know, you've got Camelot against you. You know, you're mm-hmm. not going to win. So, but but we did things. We hired architects that were mm-hmm. known for building small learning communities. So mm-hmm. we had one plan that had small learning communities communities that had all of the playground space and all of the recreational space and everything else, and then converted the hotel to affordable housing or low-income housing because that neighborhood is gentrifying, and Mm -hmm. we knew then it was going to gentrify. Mm -hmm. So how do you make sure there's still kids to go to this school Mm -hmm. um, if the neighborhood dramatically changes? So we tried to be part of the solution because clearly there was a huge need for a school in that neighborhood, and Mm -hmm. we never wanted to be against that Mm -hmm. because, you know, there was a need, and we understood that, and so that's why we're so focused on trying to find the solution
2: it's interesting that you say that because I remember at the time one of the things I said a lot when people would ask me about it is I said you know sometimes competing values just compete you know and mm-hmm. sometimes it's 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 just you're you 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 have you know you make a choice and it's really hard to do and and so um that's interesting and then and then, yeah, I mean, you know, we I guess I sort of glossed over this, but I mean, I do think it was a little bit of a game changer, frankly, for everybody when the Kennedy family weighed in. Because, again, I think there was this assumption that people would, you know, they'd say, of course, they want this saved. And their view was, you know, our father, uncle, whoever, you know, Bobby Kennedy, who is obviously known for having been assassinated there during his um, when he won the California primary in 1968, that. That they were like, he, was fight, he spent his whole career fighting for social justice and equity mm-hmm. for poor people. So, the last thing we wanted to do is a site of a campaign rally, essentially, to get in the way of social justice and equity for poor kids, which right. is ultimately what they thought the school was. And so, um, I think that, that certainly in the press, that changed the narrative.
0: It did. And, and we, had, we had looked at Dallas and the book depository site, which was you know, threatened at one point, And the Kennedy family did not weigh in in that situation. And so we, we had you know, thought that they probably wouldn't hear. But it's a different segment of the Kennedy family. Yeah. And, and they certainly were very vociferous. And I, I don't think any of us questioned that it was very emotional for them. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just, you know, does, 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 it, does the tragedy belong to a family or does it belong to the American people? And and that you know was part of this and you know part of our pitch in terms of having this be just an amazing educational facility is what better place to learn history? Mm-hmm. You know you have you have this you know this tragic um, act that happened there, but you also have Khrushchev stayed there, and you know this is when Nixon denied that he could go to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you've got F. Scott Fitzgerald, which you're reading in high school. So you know there's there there there's there's a lot of history here. It was just not one history. Yeah. of this building.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was architectural history, there was cultural history, there was political history. I mean, I think that was one of the things is that, you know, the Coconut Grove on its own was a whole sort of thing. And obviously the original plan was to save a little more of that and then Mm -hmm. structurally that got hard. And then, of course, the pantry where, you know, Kennedy was assassinated was its own kind of unique sort of thing, although that had changed a lot over time. So, um, yeah, but that's interesting. And so, and then just, I guess, last thing about this is that when you guys organizationally was that you know was that something where um like you said, sometimes you just look at it and go, hey, we fought the good fight and you don't win them all. Is that kind of how it was for you?
0: I think that was for the people that were at the front lines and certainly, you know, I, I was there. <laughs> um, but I think mean, for our staff and our board, and our board really worked hard on this. I mean, this was mm-hmm. a case where, you know, they called in everybody they knew that we needed different experts. And, I mean, we had a really good team. Mm-hmm. And of people trying to find the answer here. So at, when it when it was over, I mean, when, when you know, we, we didn't, you know, prevail... it obviously their sadness but it was like i'd never had any sense that we didn't do everything we could and and so and that's a great feeling to have that Mm -hmm. we had the resources Mm -hmm. to be able to hire people to do this and hire people to do that and you know make sure we have pretty drawings and and you know all these different things and so i I, I, so i think those of us close made it through fine it was the people that were on the periphery Mm -hmm. that didn't think it would that it would happen mm-hmm. and so you have this you know people coming up to me you know or, or any of us at different events and places the grocery store saying mm-hmm. i you know i had a city councilman that keeps coming up to me from former city councilman now um saying i can't believe this happened and it's like well where were you um <laughs> so i can guess who that would have been too. um but but you know, but it's just sort of like in some ways. I think it was, you know, it it because this this building was lost and it was so significant that it really made people believe, like, well, maybe I better pay more attention to mm-hmm. what's going on because mm-hmm. this building can be lost. Yeah. And you know, we actually saw, a, you know, a bump in our membership of mm-hmm. people like, wow, well, maybe I should be supporting the conservancy because, you know, this you know, they do need to do this fight. There, yep. you know, because we we've been having a pretty good winning streak, right?
1: And so people just
0: get a little complacent. <laughs> Yeah. And so, I, you know, I still have people say, gosh, that should never have happened. And it, it's just like it's over. Let's just move on. Yeah. You know, let's. there's plenty of more buildings to save. <laughs> plenty well, more, and, you know, yeah, adaptive and, reuse to do yeah. or whatever.
2: And when you would never call it a silver lining. But the point is, is that it did bring into Stark Relief how difficult these things are and that there's still other things to do. And people who, like you said, might take it for granted. Of course we would never do these things that sometimes, you know, now in that particular situation, obviously, you know, there's, because it was for a school, it's a different conversation. But that being said, you know, it does certainly bring up the fact that, you know, there's important buildings all over the place that we got to pay attention to. And it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to, they're going to stick around.
0: Right. And, and I think that it's interesting because decisions are not made like, from high above to say like okay we could put a school somewhere else does it have to be here but it turned out because of real estate in that neighborhood yeah this was only the really you know the only big site do you eminent domain you know 50 properties to build a school this size or do you eminent domain one property? So, I mean, there's always all these different considerations that have to go into it. And, you know, part of, you know, what, what we view our role is, is in trying to make sure that everybody, to the extent possible, understands what they're losing. That if the decision is that this is more important than what is it that, that we're losing as, as a people and as a city
2: um so and then i mean we could probably go through your whole tenure and talk about a whole bunch of different projects but anything else that sticks out to you is like a major sort of signature you know victory if you will or moment or you know something that is just i mean i I think in many ways it's just the story is that is that the conversation about historic preservation in la is just so different than it's ever been um as a result of the work you guys have done but in general, like, are there any other projects that you sort of say, "Wow, that was that was something that was really pretty amazing that we did"?
0: Well, you mentioned that that there is enough of an ethic that um, developers don't really talk about tearing down the epic buildings, mm-hmm. and. There's, you know, you can have differences of opinion on what's epic and what's not, and, right. I, and I think that's really true, though. And then that's something that as an organization we're looking at. If, if you know, if we're not losing City Hall, but we're losing a two-story commercial building in Silver Lake, you know, right. the same number of people care. Yeah. But it's interesting because the last big you know kind of big you know epic fight we had was on century plaza mm. hotel mm-hmm. and the developer had initially said he was going to save it then he said i'm not going to save it and so we started working with him and and it, it became a political issue in the the city council election when karetz won mm. so in Coretz's oh, yeah. famous quote was over my dead body will <laughs> this be demolished so we we had a lot to work with there yeah and <laughs> so helpful. we began to meet with the developer on a regular basis and and i really do credit the developer we met twice a week for three months to hammer out a deal, and um, and what one thing that that he did was we met from like ten to one um, every time, and so we had lunch, and and I don't even know if this was intentional on his part or just mm-hmm. fit into a schedule that that was when we were going to meet, <laughs> but uh, I credit him for this yeah. uh, is that. Is you know when you're in these negotiations and you do build relationships and Mm -hmm. it's not always acrimonious all the time, Mm -hmm. but you are negotiating things that have to do with how much money people are going to make. Right, that's right. And and that's personal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Quite So, you know, you're going through these different processes. But what happened as, as we did this month after month was that people began to know each other. Mm-hmm. And we knew, like, oh, how did your daughter do at her volleyball game? Oh. And so you start to develop a relationship that's much beyond, like, how we're negotiating. And so we got to a point where... The the hotel was saved. Two tall towers are going up. which So he has every square foot of his um, Mm. entitled development.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And he's really proud of that project now and has now gone on to buy other historic hotels, um, the Mark Hopkins and the um, Fairmont in San Francisco. Mm. So Mm. that to me is real success when you not not only, um, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) Uh, when you not only, you know, are able to save the building you're working on, but that the person that is the opposition actually says, you know what? These buildings are interesting. Yeah, And this is what I want to spend some time doing here.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the classic win-win, right? Like, you have to nurse them into that, but the point is it's their money, and so it's like a different sort of thing so you talked a little bit about this as we kind of wrap up is that so you i was going to look ahead a little bit so you were saying next year you're launching the 70s is the new 50 which is interesting so what i mean but so that's really important but beyond that sort of what do you see is sort of the next however many years of your tenure here um what you know what are the next big challenges just in a sort of macro way either in terms of education or understanding or things like that i mean i'm assuming it's a little bit in that vein of having people understand that it's not just only how old it is or how pretty it is or that kind of thing But, you know, how does that sort of seem to you as you sort of look forward?
0: Well, I I think that as an organization, we are very interested in changing how preservation is perceived. And... There, I think, is general awareness and acknowledgement that, you know, the epic buildings, the iconic buildings, you know, again, I guess we should save them. And one of the things we're lucky in Los Angeles is that a lot of our being great buildings, particularly post-war, have big parking lots associated with them. <laughs> and so there is room for new development. So that's mm, what's happening at the Palladium. That's what's happening, um, you know, with several other projects in Hollywood. You're saving you know the historic building, but then you're still able to get the density in. And yeah. so And that's important because mm-hmm. L.A. needs more density. And right. you know, we've particularly, you know, particularly right now with housing. Right. So, so you know, in trying to do that, but but in thinking about sort of how do we frame preservation? So we're really reaching out into communities, particularly East LA, um, to talk about what's important to to the people that live there. Mm-hmm. And and not everybody understands the history of you know who, who came to Boyle Heights and Lincoln Heights that early development. But like, so for the people that are living there now, what are the buildings that resonate with you? And so really trying to 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 get a sense of, of what are the meaningful points for people in community and we're also working with kids on this so we have a program with Ola I know you used to be on the board I OLA, still, yeah. okay so we're working with Ola that's but like, we love this program mm-hmm. because we're bringing sixth and seventh graders out into MacArthur Park mm-hmm. and then they go out and take their brother or their family and and do these different things and and it's really interesting what they respond to. Hmm. It's, it's, we take them to Bullock's Wilshire, we take them to the First Congregational. They do like the organ at uh, first congregational. <laughs> but the building that they love is the American Cement Building. <laughs> and and they love it like you know, like like class after class yeah. of kids. They yeah. just that for some reason the way the, 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 the structure is put together. Yeah, cool they love it and mm. so but, so that's been great to kind of figure out how do we how do we find out what people care about so then we can then communicate to get more people to care yeah. and making sure that it's everyone's history mm-hmm. so we did a national register nomination on the Chicano Moratorium March which mm. next year will have its 50th anniversary mm-hmm. and there were three different marches and this was really critical to ending the war in Vietnam
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so we're there's there's integrity issues in terms of what the buildings look like but the story is so important and so we're really excited. We've gotten it through the state. So now we just we're still waiting for a little bit with the National Register people. Yeah, I was
2: going to ask about that. You were Spark. Is it is it how, you know how much of it is? I mean, because I'm assuming right that it's not just preservation of you know architecturally significant buildings, although that's the most obvious sort of you know thing that you guys would be known for. But how how much is it that what happened there, mm-hmm. and and how you sort of and then and then how much do you have to work to see that like okay, you save a building that theoretically something, or not theoretically, something did happen there, but you wouldn't know it by looking at it. So then how much do you get involved in sort of figuring out the programming aspect or making sure that's somehow reflected there? Or how do you sort of work that into sort of what you guys do?
0: I mean, where we have natural partners, we definitely work with them. You know, some property owners want to talk about this stuff, some (coughs) don't. So it's it's really, you know, case by case basis. I mean, uh, we've had an example recently that I think really really tells the story of how people relate to place. Mm -hmm. And that is in Silver Lake, the happy foot, sad foot, revolving sign. (laughs) So not historic in terms of, I think it's 20 years old, 25 years old. But the community has just risen up right. because if you drove by the sign and it was on the happy foot, it meant you were going to have a good day. Right. And if it was sad foot, you were like, oh, hope it's a, <laughs> hope it, I don't, you know, it's not terrible. So, but the reaction of people about that sign yeah. has has really generated people to think about, you know, like, and it's an illegal sign now. <laughs> so it can't be relocated to its new location because it revolves. Right. But if it doesn't revolve, then it won't have that same character right. defining right. feature. Right. of it whether happy foot or sad. right
2: I will say I lived in Silver like a long time and I had no idea about any of that until I started reading the stories but okay it was interesting have
1: to go down sunset. <laughs> yeah, so, no, but
0: but it's but but that that to me was just a great testament
1: mm-hmm. that
0: people in LA care about their neighborhood they build right. association with places whether it's driving by and you get a happy foot or whether it's a place that you have a good memory or whatever but but people care
2: yeah <laughs> Well, and it's interesting because it's, you know, you're you're, you're called the, the Los Angeles Conservancy. And so really the question is, what are you conserving? You know, because I think the natural thing is people think you're conserving buildings. And that's obviously what you're known for and what you mostly do, I would imagine. But it sounds like what you're also saying is you're conserving history and memory and place. And you're doing all those things. And that can take a many, you know, sort of many different forms and not always predictable forms, you know.
0: And people, like it's like, oh, you just care about buildings. And it's like, no, we really care about people because buildings are the way that people come together. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really important tool i mean you know when you look at becoming a historic district in la they're called HPOZs. Mm -hmm. you have to go out and organize your neighborhood to become a district so Mm. that's a great community organizing tool so then you know your
1: neighbors yeah
0: and you know what happens when you know your neighbors and everything else so you know i really view this as a way for people to come together Mm -hmm. and and really think talk about and think about what they want for their city
2: yeah last question um that ask everybody so what advice would 2019 linda dishman give to 1992 linda dishman um you know if you were if you were looking back at yourself taking this job then what what would you what would you say to yourself
0: that is hmm because my first years had so much disaster associated with it, mm-hmm. is that sometimes you just have to react. I mean, mm-hmm. you just you know you just have to give up the big vision and the big plans, and just <laughs> you you know you, you've got to save buildings if there's yeah. stuff threatened. Yeah. Um. But, but it's interesting because people ask me, it's like, oh, were your first years tough?" And I was like, "Oh my God, yes." <laughs> and then you know you say riots, yeah, yeah right. two earthquakes. Um. So. So, that, but I think that you know. But so now people say, "Oh, you you know, your drama really tough." I'm like, mm, "Not as long as it used to be," <laughs> but only because I have that you know yeah. <laughs> uh, that uh, yeah. you know that 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 sense. I, I, I think that I th- I I the thing that I'm pleased about is that I still passionately believe in why preservation isn't matters, mm-hmm. and and I think it's easy to lose that sometimes when you're out there raising money, you're trying to balance a budget. You know you're you know doing different organizational things, strategic planning,
1: mm-hmm. all
0: of those things. It, it, the, the, through this time I, I still I wake up and I, I still you know like, oh, I've got to do this today, or you know whatever. so that I, I still think that this is is meaningful. Mm-hmm. and this is something that matters. and 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 ultimately, like what better way to make a living than by doing something that you believe in?
2: That's our show this week. Please subscribe to this podcast, and if you like it, please do write a review. If you want to find out more, or if you want to read some of my thoughts on downtown bars and restaurants from before podcasts were a thing, you can visit my website at www.amateurenthusiastla.com. You've been listening to Enthusiastically LA, which was conceived, hosted, written, and produced by yours truly, Glenn Gritzner, otherwise known as the Amateur Enthusiast. Thanks for listening.